growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Cheat Code. This new season is focused on go-to-market partnerships. We're super excited to have an awesome stable of guests going into season two. If you look at the uh, header of the podcast, you'll notice it's not just The Cheat Code. It's the GTM Cheat Code. So we are focusing very heavily on how organizations go to market. And for those of you that don't know, our thesis is very, very, very partner-centric. So we'll be having a ton of guests who are partners this season, uh, not part, not just partners, but experts in partnership nearbound and using those strategies to go to market. So let's talk a little bit about today's guest. He's a nearbound revenue architect and self-proclaimed thought doer, the former senior director of partnerships at Drift, co-founder of Partner Hacker, which has now become nearbound.com, wildfire partnership focused newsletter that took the GTM space by storm, producer and co-host of the Nearbound podcast, and now the chief revenue officer at Reveal, which actually acquired Partner Hacker. Jared Fuller, welcome to the show. Hey, Josh. It's uh, great to be here and uh, to be on the other side of the podcast. It was uh, awesome having you on the Nearbound podcast a while back and uh, happy to uh, flip the script and come over to y'all's uh, side of the pasture. Dude, being the guest is so much so much easier, isn't it? It's always more fun. So much oh more my fun. God, so it's so much more fun. I say that every time. Like being the guest on these shows is way more fun. When you're the host, you have so much more work to do. You have to listen to what people say. You have to come up with witty questions to go next. Yeah, the, the worst, the worst. Well, Jared, we're super happy to have you. Jump, just kick us off here. What is your ultimate partnership cheat code? Strategic alliances. And when I say strategic alliances, I, I'll qualify that with saying that strategy is the most misunderstood word in startups. So I can unpack that more, but it's 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 not just partnerships and shiny object syndrome and, hey, let's go partner with everybody and do a bunch of popo, partners on paper only, right? It's actually putting money on the table. It's actually getting something that's a vision, a deck, a term sheet, millions of dollars and stuff that changes the course of and trajectory of markets. It's actual strategic alliances meant to two unicorns that I'm proud and I will put my reputation behind that were a definitive part of creating billion dollar companies. So hop into that because you're right, that term is completely overused. I mean, strategic alliance equals partner equals what, right? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just a term. So I'd love to get a, a, you know, an actionable example there. Yeah. So um, I break this down in one of my more popular content pieces is um, it's a piece called Partner Up and Play to Win Strategic Alliances. And this was a chapter from the Partner Hacker Handbook. Um, that was uh, a bestseller last year. This year, I'm publishing Nearbound the Book, um, which I'm really excited about. But to unpack strategic alliances, the first, the core root of you know strategic is strategy. Let's define strategy so that way there's no misconception that I actually mean something when I say strategic. What do I mean? Strategy is what is your winning aspiration? Where will you play? How will you win? And what capabilities must be in place in order for that to be true? It's a series of cascading questions. And what that means is that strategy, to put it simply, is a choice, right? So you have to pick your playing field. 
and then you have to pick um, how you're going to win. And then you're going to have to pick the motions. And I feel like that forcing function of choice is the most debilitating thing. So what do people tend to do? And instead of picking a strategy, they decide that everything can be a partner. We can do anything. I mean, y'all owned, you know, and had an agency before this, right? Did you service every single type of client? Did you offer every single type of service? No, you had a strategy, you made a choice and you niched into an area where you could win. So when I say strategic alliances, I mean, it's typically for startups or growing companies, a strategic alliance, you know, singular, right? You make, you're making a choice and you win big with one and then you can possibly do it with another. But this is the thing that, I mean, it shifts the course of markets. It cements you as a market leader. Um, but that, that's what I mean about strategic alliances is that there is, we're talking seven, eight figure or nine figure, you know, opportunities. Yeah. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, if you're trying to be all things to everybody, you're nothing to no one. And yep. that's certainly true in partnerships as well. And you referenced Justin's old company that, that I was a part of. We were one, right. For the first five, six, seven years of our organization, our one partner was Marketo, right? And we branched out a little bit after that, but none of them had the same strategic alliance feel to them, that, as you mentioned it, right? And that's really where we made our hay. So, you know, I think one of the things that you challenge people on is that focus, that clarity, and that having to do something. What kind of pushback have you gotten when you've approached partners with that kind of message? So, this is, um, I'll reference a couple of different things to like build my thesis around this. And um, <clears throat> I'm a, you know, uh, call me an old school techie. I still think that Steve Jobs was right about most things. Um, and so one of his famous phrases was innovate, don't invent, right? So like, it's 2024, y'all. We stand on the shoulders of some freaking giants. Like most of the stuff people have done before. Like you don't need to go out and create this from scratch. So like, what do you do? Well, there's, there's a decent book. I, the more that I reference it, the more I think about how I win strategic alliances, the more I'm like, yeah, this book's actually not that bad. And it's called The Sumo Advantage by Bernie Brenner. He's like the EVP and co-founder of uh, TrueCar. And um, what, he, what he talks about is, and I, I've mentioned this on the podcast a bunch, and I think in Revenue Capital, a lot of your thesis is that really great market-shifting partner people are actually really great entrepreneurs and vice versa. And why do I bring up The Sumo Advantage? Because the way he sets the stage for the book, I think is really good. He says... If you want to win a strategic alliance with the sumo of your space, you have to have the vision. So what is your vision? What are you trying to do that is one plus one equals three? This is not something like, here's where most people screw this up. They come in and they're like, hey, I want to build a strategic alliance with you. That's not an objective. That's not a checkbox. That's what you want. Like, why would they care about a strategic alliance? You are nobody. Like maybe if you're Adobe and you're Microsoft, you could get a meeting saying, hey, we want a strategic alliance with just that as like the baseline. But if you're a startup or a mid-stage company and you're trying to partner up, right? That's why I named my podcast Partner Up when I originally launched it. It's you're trying to partner with someone bigger than you with more distribution and more eyeballs and more trust. Well, what is your vision? You control that. You're the entrepreneur. You're in the driver's seat and you better have a damn good one. And I can impact more underneath that on like how to build some of this formula. But I think that's the first thing is that you don't come in with a, a their partner program and their tiering structure and their system. You don't come in with a term sheet or a partner agreement. You come in with a deck, right? That you're actually starting with a deck and it's something new. So what is that new thing? 
a new product, a new package service, it's a new whatever that thing is, it's your vision and you have to control it. So that, I'd say that's the, the foundational thing on what will go wrong is if you start with anything else, their programs, their paper, their vision, that's not a strategic alliance, that's you playing as a pawn in their partner wheel. So I actually thought you were going to say start with a deal. Um, and so I'd love to get, you know, your feedback on, you know, like obviously you're in a room and 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 you've made that pitch and so on. Like, I assume making that impactful to their business is, is you know, job number one, essentially. And that's oftentimes where we've started um, in terms of like winning revenue together and bringing that to the table. But um, it, like put that in the context of of you know the, those strategic alliances that you've won in the past. Like what what was yeah. that ultimate pitch there? So I, I uncovered a formula that I think is not it's not rocket science, but I'll I'll tell the, the formula through a story. I'll, I have two really great ones, but I'll start with one. So the first one was PandaDoc and HubSpot, and to demonstrate to you that like you don't have to play their game; you're playing your own. Um, we're, this is circa 2016, and then I have another story from circa 2018, 2019. Um, and HubSpot didn't even have APIs for HubSpot CRM. When I say they didn't have APIs, I mean, they literally, there was no published APIs. But it was the fastest growing CRM in all of the CRM space. And I made that choice. I'm like, out of all the CRM players, HubSpot's going to win because they launched for free, right? So what was the very first thing that I had to figure out? Well, I'm lucky. I didn't do this because I was smarter than anyone. I was just like, well, what's most important about HubSpot CRM to HubSpot? I just happened to think that way. It's not because I had some intuition. It was just lucky that that was my first thought. And mm. in talking with the HubSpot CRM team, the most important thing to them at that time that cascaded all the way up to Brian Halligan and their public earning reports was free to paid conversion, right? And, you know, I had this partner hypothesis, if you will, right? You better have a strong hypothesis that we you know, validated over time. And I bet, well, I bet if someone signs a deal, PandaDoc, eSign, right? The likelihood that they go from, you know, free to paid is probably higher. Like I'm not a genius, but I bet, you know, that probably helps them convert, right? The deals that are in CRM get closed. And it turns out that if someone moved an opportunity to closed one in HubSpot CRM, that was their single number one most important metric of converting someone from free to paid. And if anything else happened in HubSpot right. CRM, if someone moved a deal to close one, that was the number one indicator that they were going to you know, win that customer on a paid account. Makes sense. It's intuitive. But that doesn't involve me, right? There's no CRM APIs. How am I supposed to do that? So you know, I call myself the OG partner hacker. Well, guess what we did? We hacked a Chrome extension that was PandaDoc for HubSpot CRM, and we literally are pulling the DOM and scraping the page and injecting the information from HubSpot CRM into the PandaDoc. A little sidebar popped open, and you could send the doc right from HubSpot CRM. And then you know what we did is we actually changed our signup flow. So we could ask people what CRM they were using whenever they signed up for PandaDoc. So what did we do? The second anyone ch chose HubSpot, we'd push them that Chrome extension, and then guess what we were doing? We're tracking that. So we had a couple hundred installs of this thing. And every single time someone would use it, we could cohort it. And I could go to HubSpot. And I'll tell you what I did. I'll end with it like this little part and we can go more into the formula. Is um, I cold called my way into, um, in kind of references, a little near bounding into Brad Coffey, who was the VP of product at the time at HubSpot and then later became the chief strategy officer. Brad's brilliant. HubSpot Ventures, platform strategy, he, his fingerprints are all over HubSpot. 
And as soon as I got him on the phone, I said, don't hang up on me because in less than one year, I'm going to be your number one partner globally and you are going to try and buy me. And I swear on my life, that's the first words that came out of my mouth. And I keep in mind, I'm the VP of sales at PandaDoc. I'm the VP of partnerships. But to him, I'm nobody. This is like a 40 person mm -hmm. startup that's headquartered in Belarus. You know, like he had no idea who I was, but that stopped him in his tracks. Like, hey, hold on, wait a second. This guy has some conviction and a vision on something that's really important. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. And I wanted that meeting because that ends up becoming the next step is like that critical meeting where you put these pieces together. But I'll, I'll kind of pause there. That's kind of the, the thesis. I'm like, first things first, what's most important to them? And then how can you validate or impact that you drive that better than the other partners? If you can't figure that out, there's no strategic alliance deal that ever comes out of it. Solve that one first. Yeah. I mean, you've outlined a perfect sales outreach, right? I mean, it's, you're always selling. You could be a partner person, but you're still selling, right? You had to sell to get into that meeting. And in order to get that meeting, you had to know it was important to the person on the other side. You had to form a hypothesis around how you could solve that problem and then come in with a vision to solve it. Right. And right. I think the fact that you started with vision, I think was huge because it's highly underrated. Otherwise you're just a cog in a wheel. And as entrepreneurs, you have to have vision and conviction partnerships or not you're just not going to be followed otherwise right so i just think it's such an important piece to double down on that vision know it articulate it and be able to prove it as you go along and, and we're running into this right all the time with with founders that we work with and it's just such an important thing to keep reiterating so let's dive into the next step right go ahead justin did you say something right. i was just gonna i mean that's right it, it does seem like such a no-brainer but like why do so many people get this wrong because what you described is just, you know, like selling 101. Why, why is the partnerships mindset so just screwed up in general? Well, I would say when you're pursuing a deal, what you're doing is you're, you're myopically looking at the world through the lens of your product and the package and the levers that you have. When you're pursuing a partnership, those walls don't exist, right? Like they shouldn't exist. You know, so it's the mm -hmm. art of the possible, right? And then how good are you? It's like, where are you going and how are you going to get there, right? So you need to have some, maybe there's some guardrails for it, so to speak. Like I mentioned, what's most important to them? What's a top three metric that the CEO, what she's going to hang her hat on, right? And then the next step of the formula is how do you impact that metric? And then the third step of the formula is what's that look like at scale, Right. So like how many, how much, how many dollars are we talking about here? What kind of impact is this going to make it all the way to the CEO's desk of a publicly traded company? And then, you know, the kind of the fourth one there is who is comped in that organization based on that metric. Right. So th that's, that's, a, that's really the formula, so to speak, is like the vision is step one and the, the other four steps are kind of perfunctory, but you, the world is your oyster with those guardrails or basic constraints. The package is something that you create. It doesn't exist, yep. right? And that's the difference between, you know, typical sales versus what strategic alliances is that you're the product marketer, the product, you know, you're creating this thing. Yeah, I was yeah, doing I mean, a podcast this morning and that was part of what we were talking about. Not only the, the the joint value to the customer, but really the value to that partner. And the dude was just like, "Wow, that's that's crazy. We never think about so the value to the partner." And I was like, "Well, that's probably why a lot of partnerships don't go very far." Right. Exactly. Exactly. So 
you know, I was able to secure, so we had some basic validation from our freemium funnel. Like the one thing we had kind of going for us at Pandadoc is we hacked the template strategy, um, you know, in SEO. So like, there's no way we could rank for, you know, e-signature software against DocuSign or EchoSign, but we could like software, you know, proposal template, right? Like we could rank for those things. So we had some inbound traffic. Um, and then we're able to flip some of those HubSpot, you know, CRM signup trial users to using the Chrome extension, and then we can cohort. So then we had some stats and we went, okay, what happens when someone uses this Chrome extension and sends a document for e-signature? Well, there's a metric there. You can quantify it. They were seven times more likely to convert to a paid customer of HubSpot. That's insane. And guess who didn't have that data? Any other partner in HubSpot's ecosystem right? They didn't have right. that data. So we did. So immediately we're showing how we're impacting. I mean, this, this goes back to like Brian Balfour of Reforge, right? And the four growth models, like this is some real core fundamental SaaS stuff, time to value, free to paid conversion. HubSpot was really ahead of this game before a lot of people started, you know, popularizing PLG. And that's what we were doing is a PLG partnership. Like we wanted to help them grow and we were showing how we can make an impact more than anybody. So fast forward a little bit, um, we signed a million dollar deal um, with HubSpot, you know, so, hey, money on the table, right? Um, uh, after we did the vision, the pitch, the deck, we had some metrics and we we're like, hey, we're going to be your number one partner. But inside of that deal and things that happened, you know, there wasn't MDF. This isn't channel, right? There wasn't some of the traditional channel type things. It was more creative. I'll give you an example. So HubSpot knew at that time that integrations, they just launched their integration you know, uh, I think it was called HubSpot Connect at the time. They just launched that in the year that we signed this deal. And so they put into the onboarding journey um, an email to every single customer that signed up for HubSpot CRM. Well, I wanted to make sure that my logo, so it's like connect to your integration. The first one that was featured was PandaDoc. And that's went out to 50,000 people like every week, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we got massive distribution from this, massive and to our core ICP in the ecosystem that we wanted to win. And then we also got what? Exposure to their agency partners. Like, you know, I can go and reference with like Cam Kathleen Booth, who's now the you know CMO at um, Pavilion, you know, who at the time was the VP of marketing and impact a HubSpot partner. Like, these are relationships that have lasted a long time. So we, we were able to bring sales enablement services and kind of a little bit of sales consulting to a lot of HubSpot's agency partners. Um, and then in less than a year, I found myself in Belarus with Brad Coffey negotiating the merger and acquisition deal of PandaDoc because they wanted to launch e-signature because we were so impactful on their business. And the end result of this is that we blocked HubSpot from launching e-signature. And instead, um, I won't comment on whether or not we were ever going to sell. Um, there was some uh, strategic plays there. Uh, we convinced HubSpot to make their first ever venture investment and HubSpot Ventures was formed, right? So like, what is the power of strategic alliances is that our number one ecosystem SMB sign, SMB CRM, number one leader. We changed that from a potential competitor who was going to launch a competitive product to investing in our company and cementing us as the SMB leader in the category. And, you know, PandaDoc is, you know, a billion dollar company, over a thousand employees, 50,000 customers worldwide now. Super powerful. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'll like, I, I don't even know, Josh, do we need to ask another question or should we just hear the second story? <laughs> yeah, mine as well. I mean, it's such a it's 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 just such a refreshing and different view on what just gets tired in the partner ecosystem. Yep. Right. Like you say strategy and strategies and misnomer and all that. It totally is. Like you're thinking about the business. You're not thinking about partnerships and what do you want for the business? And then how how do I go attack that? That's what I love about it. 
Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is you're the entrepreneur. If you're not an entrepreneur as a partner leader, like get out, go do something else that's easy that has a rule book. If you need rules yeah, to follow, you're in the wrong go role. follow the playbook, right? You're in the wrong role. Like you better have a vision. I, I talk about these three C's, curiosity, courage, and conviction. You better be wildly curious about the market, about the customer, about the space. So if you're a person that does industry hopping, you're going to have a hard time. You know, if you go from you know, selling to a marketing persona to medical device sales, like good luck. You know, like you have to be insanely curious. Why? Because you, you ingest all this information and you're able to make a what? A bet. You take, take some courage. You have to go to your CEO and say, hey, I think I really want to go all in on this partnership. And that CEO is going to say, you think? You know, the risk profile is massive. So mm-hmm. that's why I say the third C, conviction. You better be willing to die on that hill. It takes guts, right? And you better know you have an informed decision. So luckily, at, you know, PandaDoc, I was just crazy, you know, like, but whenever I went to Drift, I heard the story. So this is the second story of uh, DC and Elias, the founders of Drift. Um, they had sold the HubSpot, right? Performable. And David Cancel was a chief product officer. He's the one that fired the entire engineering team and then rebuilt HubSpot CRM from scratch. His nickname and you know David Cancel was uh, DC was Don Calion because he was like a gangster, right? Everyone was scared of him because he fired the entire engineering team because they would not talk to customers. So I was like, this entrepreneur is like another level. Halligan told me mm, that DC is the reason why they were the best company. So wow. when DC brought me over to Drift, um, I was like, okay, I'm playing in the you know real startup leagues now. PandaDoc, we were you know scrappy, but like this is Drift. You know, we were the most popular startup in the world. And we, y- y'all were on LinkedIn at the time. It was annoying <laughs> how much we were everywhere, right? Um, and the, week one, day one, all the, the only thing that DC gives to me was, quote, don't fuck this up. That's it. It's good direction. It was implied. I love it. Right. Don't fuck this up. And it was like implied in week one that I had to make a choice. And I was like, whoa. So I didn't really know the formula that I kind of gave you with Panadox. I kind of uncovered. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? And I, week one, I chose Marketo. Week one. And how did I do it? Um, it's actually available, I think, in, the, in that article, Partner Up and Play to Win Strategic Alliances. There's a template that I used in that board meeting to say, hey, we're going after Marketo and we're going to win. So, And then uh, I learned that week we launched a really crappy integration with Marketo. But I heard someone say something about this uh, munchkin cookie. I was like, what the heck's that? And one of my sales engineers, so I got really curious going back to these three C's. I'm like, okay, I know sales tech. I know MarTech a little bit, right? Kind of in the same tangential space. And he's like, it would be really amazing if we could just get that cookie from Marketo and identify the website visitor in chat, right? And I pulled that thread and I'm like, okay, what could, what could that be? I'm like, well, wait, really? That's ABM for chat. Now you could target every single website visitor with a personalized experience. Again, I'm thinking like an entrepreneur day one. So if you fast forward six months, um, you know, we signed Marketo's first ever exclusive alliance, uh, me and TK Cotter and uh, Shia Alfondery. <clears throat> um, and there was a meeting um, between Jill Rowley. She was the chief growth officer, now works at, you know, with me at Reveal, which is crazy that that comes full circle, um, where we uncovered that aha moment kind of together. And I'll, I'll unpack this because this was such a crazy meeting. This is like, this is something that should be in a television show because it makes no sense. Yeah, that's great. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen this guy around. He's not a prolific content creator, but he's probably, 
I might call him the goat of partnerships, maybe at least in B2B SaaS sales and marketing is Bobby Napletonia. Um, Bobby was the, um, he's incredible. You have to have him on, have to. Um, He's probably responsible for the Salesforce Salesforce Accenture partnership, uh, the app exchange. Um, And he, I I was meeting him in San Francisco, uh, just as like a mentor, like, hey, I'm trying to figure out this adrift, like this is the big leagues now, I'm going after my second big alliance. And he goes, well, who are you talking to? I'm like, well, I'm meeting with all the execs at Marketo, Joe Rowley, Shy, and TK. He's like, oh, I know all of them. I'll join you. And I was like, what? <laughs> You're going to show up? It, so I show up with Bobby, who was the EVP of partnerships at Salesforce, to this meeting with Marketo, you know, the execs. And I sit down and they're all like looking at each other like, why, why is Bobby here? And all that Bobby said is, I'm Jared's bitch. He didn't say another word the entire meeting. It's a great special guest. That's amazing. So that's all he said. That's fantastic. But here's what we uncovered. I'll walk you through this really fast. Is I came in, I said, look, we have this integration. And I know, to putting this formula together, the most important thing to Marketo today is I know you're going to try to sell to Adobe. I know you are. And they're like, okay, whatever, sure. And I said, the most important metric to Steve Lucas is net retention showing that you can expand the accounts that you have. What is your number one lever for expanding net retention? It's number of contacts in the database, right? Yes, it is. Okay, great. Makes sense. How, how does Marketo drive more conversions from a website visitor to a contact? Guess what? You don't. You don't control and you have no ability to get more contacts into your email cannon. That's something else. Well, guess what we do? Right. Here's an $80,000 upgrade that we just did with Shopify because they plugged in Drift on their website. And here's the CSM. And here's what the CSM said about bringing Drift into her accounts. And I said, so that's why I'm your number one partner in the world is because I can help you sell to Adobe and I can help your CSMs. And guess what? They're already happy working with me. Previous to this meeting, I'd gone out to every single Marketo office, desk to desk. I flew there and I went to every CSM's desk. I pulled up their Salesforce accounts. I'm not kidding. Andrew Gibson was no, the number one CSM at Marketo, there. right? He was number one CSM at Marketo. He sent 50 introductions right next to me, right? Ne- and I did this at every single CSM. So I had the body of work. I had the conviction. I had the proof. And I said, let's launch this at Adobe Summit during the keynote, which sounds crazy. You know, like we're going to take over Steve Lucas's keynote or uh, sorry, at Marketo Summit, which then became Adobe Summit later on, because this is before the mm-hmm. acquisition. Right. Um, and they're like, everybody high-fived across the table. you know, And that turned into a $6 million deal. And that's the formula, it's right? It's a great piece of context when we're having conversations out there and the CEO says, yeah, but it seems like that's going to take a lot of investment and time. Oh. And the answer is... Yes. I mean, yes. it's done an extreme amount of time, but yes, it's a, it's an incredible investment. That was done in, that was done in less it. than nine months, zero yeah. to nine months, $6 million deal. Yeah. And Jared, I can tell you, I've done that. I've walked Marketo's halls and not the CSMs, but the sales reps and just sat with every right. single one of them and went through their pipeline and figured out where we could add value, like the whole thing. And then you bring that up to the executive level and say, this is why you should partner with us. Like, it's just a, it's the program, right? Like you've got to put in the work, otherwise it's not going to have value. Yeah, and I didn't have a big partnerships team. I mean, I had, you know, what, three, four people on the team and they were all focused 
on other partnerships. They're focused on agency partnerships, the long tail of the ISVs. I, you know, I'm the global head of partnerships, but that alliance was me. Just well, it's probably a, you know, a benefit, not a detractor. You, know, right. you see these bloated partnership teams that just that innovation, that entrepreneurship just doesn't exist there. So it's, it's probably a, you know, a, a feather in your cap, certainly. I think the thing to call out is there should be a black swan moment like Chris Voss talks about and never split the difference where, you know, there's that mm -hmm. critical piece of information that both parties, you know, don't understand. And it was like, when it came together that like net dollar retention, number of contacts in the database, um, proof that that generates upsells, proof that CSMs are happy. It's like, this is obvious, this is you it. know, like this is way better. And then we ended up calling it conversational ABM. We launched it mm -hmm. on the main stage. Steve, Steve Lucas, CEO of Marketo, gives his keynote and he goes, and that's why I'm so excited to announce conversational ABM. Here's David Cancel, the CEO. That's how they close the keynote. You know, like that's the power of strategic alliances. I've not, I'm not just talking about it theoretically. I have seen it in, in sitting there in disbelief going, whoa, we did all yeah, of that. I was going to say, that, that's a what a strategic alliance, that's what a strategic alliance looks like. That's yeah, so, right there. So let's bring it full circle to, you know, a lot of this audience is founders, right? And, and the folks that we work with, why? Cause you mentioned that you're a partner person, you're the entrepreneur in the room, right? So these entrepreneurs, these founders, why is their default to go build an outbound machine that we know has horrible conversion metrics and this and that? Why, why isn't it leaning into what you just described? Especially with all the focus on partnerships these days. You know, I think it's a percentage of mind share and um, there's nothing more in the world that I hate than ivory tower intellectualism. You know, whether that's the rich men north of Richmond, right, and politicians or, you know, bureaucrats that run everything. And this isn't even a political statement. I'm just literally talking about people that think that they can spreadsheet their, their vision of reality into existence. And I think the curious task of economics is actually the same as it is entrepreneurship. It's to demonstrate to us how little we know about what we imagine we can design. So you know why people default to that, Josh? It's because, man, that spreadsheet sure looks good, doesn't it? Wouldn't it just be great <laughs> if it worked out that way? It sure would be great. Man, I feel so happy about my business now. I got the math there, that spreadsheet. So when that happens in policy or it happens in business or in global politics, guess what doesn't happen? The thing that you wanted to. Right, because yeah. they're they're imposing their version of you know their version of the spreadsheet on the world, but whenever you go live in the market and you build market to you versus the other way around, what you're doing is that you're a seer, right? And then you can do the things that where the market is heading already naturally. What I just referenced was called the fatal conceit by Nobel Prize winning economist uh, Friedrich Hayek, and uh, I'm a big Austrian economist, so at least I'm going to give my first principles economics thinking out wherever I can. But the advice to the entrepreneur is merely this. How much time do you spend innovating on your product? Probably a good chunk of time. Okay. How much time do you spend innovating on the market? No one's ever been asked that question. What do you mean innovating on the market? Well, there's a constellation of products that already exist in the market. So I often talk about things like powered by partnerships. And y'all have seen a little bit of that with me and like Drift and Sixth Sense for example, right? Like mm -hmm. Sixth Sense is very happy with what we innovate and is another multi-million dollar alliance where we baked in, you know, their reverse IP lookup and their tech into Drift and we launched it as a new product, right? It was called Drift Intel powered by Sixth Sense, right? And that, what, what, what was the impact to the business? Well, we took our $500 a month plan 
and turned it into a $1,500 a month plan. If you're an entrepreneur, listen to what I just said. I tripled, tripled, tripled our ACV by launching a new product line of a, with a piece of technology that our company couldn't create with the best in class leaders. So I did a data quality study across all the ABM vendors and data vendors, and we chose six cents. We did some other stuff with Clearbit and demand base and those others too. But like, that's the innovation. That's the entrepreneurship. Um, and so if you're, if you're innovating on your product or your go to market or you're spreadsheeting the world into existence, it's like, no, how, how are you going to build on the things that already exist? Ask yourself that question. Spend some mind share there and quit spreadsheeting your way into existence because it don't work in policy and world politics or in your business. Well, you've thrown a lot of Jaredisms out there on this show, but I do like bringing the market <laughs> to you. I think I think well, that's a pretty good one. Baby, it's way easier being the guest. <laughs> so, um, speaking of things that don't work, Jared, do you, do you have a great partnership horror story? A horror story? Oh my gosh! Um, he only deals in success, so there's there's no horror stories. How about this entire Salesforce ecosystem? I mean, I've just failed that one every single time. Like, uh, no matter how many times I've tried to partner with the Salesforce ecosystem, like literally at this stage, I'm just like, no, I won't touch it with a 10 foot pole. I cannot so crack hard. that code. I've done Microsoft, I've done Adobe. Um, I've done a little bit of the cloud providers. Um, like if you go to docs.google.com, like just the homepage for Google Docs, docs.google.com, you will see the very first thing you see is a proposal template powered by PandaDoc. You know, like millions of people see that every day. Like, so that's great. I've figured out all these different ecosystems and done these creative little solutions, but Salesforce every single time I have effed up. So there's there's a, probably a dozen underneath there, but I've just never been able to crack Salesforce as much as I've tried. Yeah, that, that is a difficult one. It was much easier, you know, a decade or so ago. These days, uh, I, I don't know. You've got to be monstrous to, to stand out in that crowd. Who do we know that's done it well? It's pay to play at this point. Maybe we should have them yep. on. Why, why is your ecosystem so hard? <laughs> yes. I think those two stories are, are both master classes in not only partnerships, but as, as you mentioned, strategic alliances. Um, you've got a million things that, that folks can go you know, download and engage with. Like, Where should they start if, if they want to learn more about this? Well, y'all have heard of outbound. You've heard of inbound. This is the era of nearbound. So go to nearbound.com. Everything's free. We send out Nearbound daily every single day to 10,000 plus people. Uh, that's where you'll find the Nearbound podcast. I just recorded episode 153, so I've been doing this for a while. And then um, uh, Nearbound, the book, uh, will be available on Amazon starting February 29th. And uh, otherwise, ping me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to be helpful. Um, I'm a geek on these things. Uh, if you couldn't tell, I actually give two shits about it from listening to this, then uh, I'm sorry for not bringing my passion. But I'm always happy to be helpful to anyone who's <laughs> being on LinkedIn. Now, this has been awesome. Jared, thank you so much for, for joining us here today. Absolutely. Thanks, folks. And then certainly if you're tuning in for the first time, it's season two of The Cheat Code, uh, keeping it uh, all deep on partnerships this season. Uh, Jared's been a great way to, to kick, us off, kick us off. Thanks again for joining us, Jared. Uh, if you're not yet subscribed, please do so. It helps us out and helps us get the message out. And again, we'll see you next time on The Cheat Code. Growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we gonna grow these organizations? That's our cheat code.